Hi, I'm Green Diva Meg from The Green Divas Radio Show. You're listening to Q4 Radio in Chicago, and The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. A White House report that says global warming threatens every part of the U.S. This isn't something in the distant future. Climate change is already affecting us now. Now. Smart move, Obama. That is a key shift in how to talk about climate change. Because we've all proven that we cannot be trusted with the future tense. We've been repeatedly asked, don't you want to leave a better Earth for your grandchildren? And we've all collectively responded, eh, f*** them. Incredibly, this latest damning scientific report may still face an uphill climb with some of us. There's that Gallup poll that came out last month, which found one in four Americans is skeptical of all the effects of climate change and thinks this issue's been exaggerated. That doesn't matter. You don't need people's opinions on a fact. (laughs) You you might as well have a poll asking which number is bigger, 15 or (laughs) 5. Or do owls exist? Or are there hats? The the debate on climate change should not be whether or not it exists. It's what we should do about it. There is a mountain of research on this topic. Global temperatures are rising. Heat waves are becoming more common. Sea surface temperatures are also rising. Glaciers are melting. And, of course, no climate report is complete without the obligatory photo of a polar bear balancing on a piece of ice. Uh, The only accurate way to report that one out of four Americans are sceptical of global warming is to say, a poll finds that one out of four Americans are wrong about something. Live from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, just this side of the concrete-encrusted banks of the north branch of the Chicago River, it's The Mike Novak Show. Still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Sunday on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. He doesn't own the word green, he merely rents it for a small fee. Here he is, Mike Novak. All right, turn on all these mics. Everybody get ready. Nobody does this except me anyway, so, because you guys don't know where it is. One more time. Hey, there's a storm coming in. Hey. It's a nor'easter. Batten down the hatches. Arr, it's actually a (laughs) nor'wester. Yeah, same difference. It's coming down Lake Michigan. Sounds like Muppets Treasure Island over there. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I can play the Muppets song for you. You know, that's uh, that's, that's something else that I have added to. Well, you knew that from last week that I've added that to the repertoire. So I added actually uh, something else here. You Uh, knew the job was dangerous when you took it, Fred. There we go. Super chicken. You knew the job was dangerous when you took it, Fred. Super chicken. Super chicken. Oh my gosh! I am so dating myself. <laughs> it, it would a classic. It's a classic cartoon uh-huh. from the days when they actually did animation in the not this 
garbage that they do now, whatever whatever it is now, Pokemon Deluxe or whatever. What is the Pokemon thing anyway? I totally I, don't get it, George. What? Come on, you're the you're the guy. It. You're the it, guy. They say it was started. Uh, and this is Nintendo, who partnered with uh, some app company. They and, and by the app. way, it's it's just a way to revive something that was dead for fifteen yes. years. Yeah, and so that you know, twenty maybe. To I don't come know. back into. I think it was primarily meant to be nostalgic for millennials because Pokemon were huge when we were kids. Yep. Really? Uh, really? Yeah, we had all the cards and stuff, and we'd collect them. I, I have a whole binder full that I'm you know waiting to sell. When Do I'm you have 50. binders full of women as well? Yeah, just like okay. Me. <laughs> um, and it was meant, they say, to get people outside to explore and walk around more and, and meant to be kind of a health app. I'm doing air quotes right now. <laughs> but what it's turned into... I can into, see the air quotes. There they are. Well, this is for the radio people. Yeah. Um, what it's turned into now is uh, an app that's catching on like wildfire. It's I, I heard the other day it's been downloaded more times than in one week than Tinder was in its entirety thus far. Okay, I won't even ask what Tinder is. Tinder's the dating app. That's the dating, oh, app. The dating app. Oh, see, I even knew that. So what it's caused, though, is obviously people to be stupid, and you've got people who are chasing <laughs> oh, so, so, so it's an app that makes you stupid? Yes. <laughs> Don't all of them? Yeah. Okay. It, uh, it, okay, keep going. It's, keep going. I, it's telling us who's meant to live and who's not to meant to live, because you've got these people following this Pokemon map on their phone. So it's alter- what is it called? alternate reality, I think. Uh, and you look through your phone, and so it'll show a park. <laughs> Living in the United be... States is alternate reality, <laughs> But dude. there will be like a little Pikachu sitting in the park that you can only see through your phone. So it's, ha- it's caused people to like walk off cliffs, walk into traffic, <laughs> and they've positioned these Pokemon in public areas so parks, uh, museums, so on and so forth. And you know, it's caused dude, traffic jams. It's Really? There are robbers who are like looking at the app and mugging people because, like, okay, we're going to go to Central Park at 10 no. p.m. because it's going to be dark and there's well, going to be a I lot of kids there. Well, see, I get that. I get that because they're just stuff. doing their jobs, okay, they're the, the muggers. And <laughs> yeah, it's, good for it's, it's the yeah. other people are the stupid <laughs> they're ones. They're creative. And so, you know, which makes me just say one more time. You knew the job was dangerous <laughs> when you took it, Fred. Okay, that's that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, but there, yeah, there was a story how this girl somewhere in the U.S. is suing them now because oh, she was doing it while driving her car, and she crashed her car and got all beat up. And oh, I want that. To come, I want to be the judge. Uh, who 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 rules on that one? Okay, come to my court and give me the argument. And watch what happens, you you stupid little. So yeah. <laughs> so so maybe the entire election coming up will be a giant Pokemon game. Well, it already is. They've incorporated like Hillary and Trump have incorporated I, into their campaign. And I don't understand party. that, but that's... she's got a got a or had a convention no. or a meeting in the park so people could chase Pokemon to be hip. Uh, and then what was he doing, Trump? Uh, I think he insulted Hillary with a Pokemon. Okay, all right, enough. I'm all right. Okay, I'm already. Next. I'm already bored. Yeah. I my, like my my eyes are rolling back in my head at the moment. It's the Mike Novak show. Welcome, it's uh, George Brigandi, our millennial, our token millennial. Token millennial. We have a token millennial on the okay. show. Wait, give him a beer ding, would you? Okay. Yes. Beer ding for the uh, token millennial and uh, <laughs> Peggy Malecki on my left. 
uh, the editor of uh, blah 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 Natural Awakening Chicago. I knew it was, it was Chicago something. Uh, it's uh, that, that that magazine. Yeah. Feel good, live green, um, do right. Yeah. Feel good, live simply, laugh more. That one, yeah. Okay, we're uh, taking care of the laughing this morning. Whoa! I just saw lightning through the window. Oh man, that was a good one. Yeah, there's a storm uh, coming right in, even as we speak. Rick DeMaio will give us more. By the time Rick's on, it will have passed. Yeah. I mean, it's there's a nasty, nasty squall line. Can you? I wonder if you can hear that thunder. Sound effects, cur- courtesy of Mother Cue Nature. The sound effects. It's coming Ooh. through Chicago right now. Uh, so uh, I hope you don't lose power and get the the cat will be hiding under the uh, the bed and uh, the dog. I depends on your dog. <laughs> your dog might be hiding somewhere as well. My so. dog's just snoozing. <laughs> oh, okay, doesn't care about storms. Care less. Uh, so as we said, Rick DeMaio, ten forty. Ooh! Wow. I like the sound effects. That's kind of cool. So, so like if we just totally disappear, that means the station. That's lost right. Power. Something happened here. All right. Uh, on the show today, it's Book Central. This is, uh, and I can't believe this. All right. First of all, let me just tell you, I've got two fabulous authors, C. L. Fornari, uh, who has been, who was on my show last year when I was in the uh, Intertubes Wilderness. Uh, is on the show this morning to talk about her latest book called The Cocktail Hour Garden, Creating Evening Landscapes for Relaxation and Entertainment and Fun and Profit. Well, that part is not in the title. Uh, But when I interviewed her last year, she had uh, written a book called Coffee for Roses and 70 Other Misleading Myths About Backyard Gardening. So you understand that the... She's a, a myth debunker. It's one of the things that she likes to do. Uh, by the way, Snappy J Dog. Yep, storm just now rolling through Forest Park. So there you go. Um, so uh, CL will be on, assuming that uh, I hope she's listening. And uh, if you are, uh, I sent you a Skype invitation. Hi, CL. Uh, and I hope you answer it so that we can. Uh, get you on uh, around 9.30. So she will be on that. And then in the second hour, Dr. Linda Chalker-Scott, who has written a book. Well, she's written a number of books. The latest is How Plants Work, the science behind the amazing things that plants do. She's also a co-founder of the Garden Professor's blog. And by the way, there's like 7,300 people who follow that blog. And a bunch of them responded to a post I put on it yesterday about Dr. Linda Chalker-Scott being on the show. And I hope that some of them are actually listening. So if you are, send us a message on uh, the Mike Novak Show on Facebook. Or if you're on Twitter, uh, the handle is at Mike Now, N-O-W. Uh, we would love to hear from you uh, because there's a lot of folks who love Dr. Linda Chalker-Scott, and her colleagues at the Garden Professor's blog. One thing you need to know about the Garden Professor's blog is you better be armed with your facts when you come there, okay? They do not suffer fools gladly. Uh, It's a little intimidating sometimes. Uh, And just just imagine (laughs) how I feel about having uh, uh, Dr. Chalker-Scott on the the show this morning. Um, 
but uh, you're going to learn a lot. It's a uh, oh, okay. This is C. Now I have to I have to go back here because that blog site is all about okay. Ding ding! It is based science based. What? I think you need to pull the volume up. On I think that. so too. Okay. Wait a second. See. Different things are on at different levels here. I, I can bump that. So if, this is better? There we go. Uh, oh, okay. What? And it, it's, it's like Sears <laughs> Shoppers. That's because you don't want to know why that's coming up. Uh, at any rate, so. I forgot uh, about that sound from Sears. Oh, I know. I know. used to have that ding, ding. I know. Man- that's manager to department too. Manager Facebook to department has too. A, has appropriated the sound. <laughs> okay, do you think they they're paying Sears royalties? I think not. All right. So anyway, second hour, Dr. Linda Chalker Scott will talk about her plant, how our book, how plants work. Um, we'll talk about the Garden Professor's blog, and we are going to take some time. And this is very controversial. She we're, she works at Washington State University. She is being try, – they're trying to get her out, okay? They're trying to oust her there. And, and unfortunately for them, the folks that are doing that, they chose the wrong tack, okay? And you know about tacks because you, you have a sailboat. Um, but they're accusing her of incompetence, which is like the dumbest thing you could possibly – accuse this woman of. There, are, there might be other things, because she's, she's opinionated. Who isn't? I'm opinionated. Really? Uh, no, not really. I'm not at all. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's, it's become a really nasty battle. And, so she's, and the, the amazing thing is that she's talking about it in public. Most of the time, an academic would, would you know, they would not bring this out in the open. Uh, she doesn't care. That gives you an indication of what Dr. Linda Chalker Scott is like. So it's a very, very interesting problem, and we will, we will talk about that as well. And as I mentioned at 1045, Rick DeMaio and the Thunder may still be here, may not be. George, did you say that uh, – oh, yeah, she did connect. Uh, C.L. Fornari is on the Skyper counting her blessings, it says right there, in that it's not raining. There is <laughs> – Maybe that's it. Um, it's certainly raining here now. We should mention that the three of us were at the premiere of At the Fork. Whoop, here comes the rain out there. We may have to close that window, but I don't think these mics are going to pick that up. Um, but it's starting to pour out there now, too. Cool. I love the smell of rain in the radio station. Just don't get it on the equipment. <laughs> um, but uh, George and Peggy and I were at the premiere of At the Fork at the... Uh, AMC 21-something-something-something. River East, yeah. River East, uh, you know, everything's River East. Along with Captain Fantastic. Captain Fantastic, which I heard is actually a really good movie. And then, because all all the people who, not all the people, a lot of the people who were there that day were going to see Captain Fantastic. Uh Then I saw Viggo Mortensen on... um, Bill Maher. Bill Maher. Yeah. And I went, wow, I want to see this movie. (laughs) But we were seeing at the Fork the documentary about meat. Uh, yeah, I guess we're going to close uh, the window. Thanks, George. Don't uh, don't get wet. 
Watch don't, that lightning, George. Don't touch anything uh, electrical metal. over there. Metal, right. Oh, like the metal window? Yeah. He's moving the... Uh, that's not helping a lot. That's still, I mean, and I think it's because no. it's, it's, hitting it's, the air it's hitting the air conditioner, which is outside the window. So picture this, everybody. Yeah, that's okay. It's like, you know, it's like we're in a tent. I would, did we tell you we're in a tent? We broadcast from a tent in Logan Square in a parking lot? No. Oh, speaking of which, and I can't forget this either, next week, speaking of in a tent, no, we're broadcasting live, give me a ding. Beer ding for that from Chris, Christy Weber Farm and Garden uh, on Grand Avenue in Chicago. I am very excited about that. Uh, and uh, Christy Weber will be on the show and Anna Maria Leon, uh, who is her, her uh, permaculturist. Uh, and uh, I think we're going to have a great time. And that's same time, 9 to 11 a.m. So stop on by. Come on by to Christy Weber Farm and Garden if you've never been there they cram a lot of stuff into a tiny little space. That's kind of, I like it. It's it's you know you mm-hmm. make the most of what you got there. Yeah. Can I go back to at the fork for a minute? No. Yes, okay. please, please do. It, at the fork, we had about 150 people. I think we're there, George. About 150. <coughs> yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. The theater was pretty full. It was full, and we did a question and answer afterwards. Chris Peterson flew in from his farm. Um, we were talking to Mark Ayers from the Humane Society. Mike was leading the discussion, and the questions were fantastic. Mm-hmm. People were really getting into the film and the message of the film, and it was great to see. Uh, yeah, it really was. Uh, it, and folks were – you heard gasps. You heard uh, laughter. Mm-hmm. You heard applause. Um, all of it. A few people were drying their eyes with the 4-Hers. And- yeah. And uh, – Yeah. That's a, a particularly moving segment in the film because the 4-H kids raise these animals and then they know where they're going yeah. after, after the state fair. And they were feeding their hogs strawberries and watermelon mm. and saying, no one else, the, the animals aren't going to know what's happening to them because we've treated them so well and they're going to get on the truck and they've never been treated that way. Yeah. Boy, it's, it, it really is sad yeah. and it is, a, it is a moving moment in the film. Uh, we don't know when it's coming out for national release it's possible it's going to be mm-hmm. a netflix deal who knows yeah um but if you are interested in showing it what the film producers told us was that you can contact them at at the send an email and say you'd like to host it with your church group community group school and they will hook you up so that you can do a showing at uh, your own location and uh, i did record the question and answer session afterward I apologize. I haven't even listened to the MP3 yet. I have no idea. And I suspect the quality is good. Uh, and we're probably going to play it on this show soon. At the very least, I will post it on my website, MikeNovak.net. Uh, and by the way, you can always go to MikeNovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net. For, uh, I do a blog about this week's show. It's posted. If you go to the home page. Um, it says uh, read about this week's show. You just click there. Um, you can listen live on Q4 Radio by clicking there. You can write to me uh, at Mike Now on Twitter, or you can go to The Mike Novak Show on Facebook. And I hope you'll like it, please. 
Uh, give us a few likes. Let's see if we can get a couple today. You can go uh, on Instagram. I know. At Kick. the Mike Novak Show. Yeah, yeah. Instagram. Yay. Yay. And, and, and if there are things on that blog that you like, mm-hmm. hint, 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 please share with your friends. Tell them about the show and get them listening and reading and sharing exactly. with their friends. Exactly. Exactly. Start the movement, by golly. <laughs> the, 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 right. Whatever this movement is. No, I was just going to play this. You knew the job was dangerous when you took it, Fred. Okay, is that loud enough for That's you? Better. That's, That's better. That's better. Okay. It's, it's much louder. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a fun evening uh, on Wednesday. Now, uh, before we get to CL Fornari, I had a rant, but uh, I don't know. If, did you have one, too? I don't have a rant. I just wanted to bring up... Um, Oh, go ahead. Yes. In, in keeping with the spirit of At the Fork, um, Veggie Fest is happening next week. It's the 11th annual Veggie Fest Chicago. It is a huge, humongous gathering for... This is the big one This in is the, the big one. And this in, is the Naperville. Naperville. Yeah. Right. Okay. And they have moved back to their old location. So anybody who went to oh. Illinois Benedictine last year, especially when we got blown out with the thunderstorm that came through and everybody left and it took an hour to get out, um, oh, they have moved back to... Science of Spirituality Meditation Center in Lyle, which is right at Naperville Road and, Warren, and Warrenville Road, right at the corner. It's free parking. So they, get, they didn't admission. like their traditional religion thing. They, they kind of went back to the spiritual yep. thing. Yeah. yeah. But it, the cool thing about this event, um, I always, I've had a booth there for six years. I'll be there Saturday. Other people will be in our booth on Sunday. Um, because week. you'll be here. I'll no, be you'll here. be at Christy, Christy Weber. Weber. Right. Um, and... Others will be there handing out magazines and greeting people and saying hi. This is the Science of Spirituality's annual conference. So there are people that come in from all over the world, uh, a lot from India, a lot from Brazil, South America, Australia, and they're all volunteers for the event. They are taking people around. They're helping set up, helping tear down. I have never met a grumpy volunteer at that event. Really? And it's, it's just got a great atmosphere. It's always hot. There's usually rain that comes through. It's outdoors, but there's plenty of food, plenty of lectures. Learn how to cook vegetarian. Um, take it all in. Get free samples all over the place. And stop by the Natural Awakenings booth and say yeah, hi. Yes, say hi to Peggy on Saturday or to her colleagues on Sunday. On Sunday. And you know why everybody's so happy? Because they, they get paid in carrots. <laughs> and it just makes them, I don't know, it just makes people smile. You know, Bugs Bunny was always a happy guy, right? Mm. Yeah. Uh, Okay, now on to your rant. Oh, this is just real quick. Uh, You know, uh, this week I posted uh, there's a petition to get Starbucks to be more sustainable. Big surprise. Uh, And uh, I posted it on the Mike Novak Show on Facebook. And And it got me to thinking because I read some of the statistics there on that petition uh, and uh, 8,181 cups are sold per minute, okay? Just try to absorb that that number, 8,181 8, cups. Do we know how many trees that is? It's a lot of trees, and that was one of the points they make. It's that it is a lot of trees. Uh, so I go in there with my own cup with my reusable cup. And I, I actually asked a barista one day, I said, out of 100 people, um, how many bring their own cup? And she said, on a good day, two. 
Uh, I was I was shocked. Uh, and then I read that's that's their actual number. That's their statistic. They go by that. They th- they figure out it. They figure it's about two percent of people who bring their own cups to. And it's not just Starbucks, obviously. They are they're you know the biggest and the baddest. Uh, you were talking about McDonald's. What's, yeah. There's McDonald's is actually worse. I, if I go into my McDonald's with a cup and ask them to fill it, they'll say no. But here, you can fill it from our cup. What's the point? So they pour it into their nasty little cup, and then you can pour it into yours. That defeats the whole purpose. Yes. Yeah. But they're doing what they're told. Now, Starbucks, it's interesting. I don't know if that article talked about about a year ago they had something you could buy a cup, and you got you paid like $40, and it was unlimited refills for some long amount of time. Well, I bought a cup there. Well, like, this was a special Yeah, something. well, but it shouldn't be a special deal. No. Here, here is my point. And by the way, um, if you want to sign that petition, it says Starbucks serves 4 billion disposable paper cups every year. 4 billion. Uh, and if you go to bettercup.earth, you can sign the petition. Better cup. Uh, are you looking at? Are you looking at? You're looking at me funny, George. Uh, I just had a thought. Um, let's say we get this movement going. They outlaw those cups um, in Chicago, like they did with plastic bags at retail um, shopping stores. Um, are they going to come out with a cup like Jewel and all those stores did that are like a thicker plastic, or whatever that they claim is? Well, no, no. The point here of this thing. petition is to make the cups recyclable, and that's the problem. Yeah, because They're not, it's not re- recyclable. They have a plastic liner in it, mm-hmm. which is how you you hold it together, mm-hmm. and it's the way you know. And Starbucks will tell you, oh no, no, it is recyclable, and they they have. If yeah, if you have enough of the same cup going to the same place, but you know how well that works. People throw their cups wherever, mm-hmm. you know, and they don't make an a. They don't make an effort to get people to recycle properly in the store. They don't say, hey, when you're done with your cup, you know, the barista should actually say, when you're done with your cup, here's where you should put it, and it will get recycled. Do they say that? No, they do not. They do not encourage you to use to bring your own cup. No, they do not. I get grief. Sometimes mm-hmm. with my cup, yeah. it's like I'm getting charged for a larger size than it is, and I have to say, look, you guys sold me this cup. You should know the size of this cup. Uh, and I don't, get, I don't get persnickety like that. But uh, the point is I get 10 cents off my coffee for that cup. It should be at least a quarter. I mean, there's no financial incentive really for people. It's like the, the plastic bag thing. When you charge a nickel, for a plastic bag, there's no incentive for you not to use the bag. I think it's technically ten cents, ten uh, cents per bag. Yeah, nickel or ten cents, yeah. whatever. But or, in some or, stores, you can get them for free. Yeah. That's yeah. the problem. That's the problem with the Chicago ordinance. It's a mess. Yeah. All right. Because I don't know anybody since they've put it into effect that actually pays any attention. Because everybody just goes to the store and doesn't. At least people I know don't bring the reusable bags. So. Now what they're doing is using And why these. is that? You're a millennial, dude. Hey, I tried What's to, wrong with the millennials? I, I even bought a couple of those uh, reusable produce bags, you know, that yeah. they're starting to promote. Um, but n- now we're just having thicker plastic bags going into well, our... Well, and that was that was the, the problem with yeah. the the, the, uh, the ordinance from the get-go. It was a way to get around the plastic bag thing, not to yeah. solve the problem. 
And it was a stupid thing. And thank you, Alderman Moreno, for your participation in, in shoving that down our throats. So he needs your meep. Uh, oh, no, I'm not going to go to the buzzer right now because I'm set up for the commercial break. I'm not doing okay, that right. Okay, all right, okay. All right. All right. So that's my that's my rant. My point is, A, Starbucks needs to have recyclable cups. McDonald's needs to stop pouring it into their cup so you can pour it into your, you know, reusable container uh, and make it give people an incentive to bring their cups so they will actually do that. Make it worth their while. I, even a quarter doesn't seem like a lot of money, but it would be much better than ten cents. Are you kidding me? With two percent of people doing that, that's insane. Yeah, well, I've also had when I've brought a cup in, they say, "Oh, I'm sorry, we can't clean that out for you." Where? At Starbucks. No, they that's won't not true. It. No, 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 no. They will rinse your cup. They just you have to take the 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 lid off. Well, yeah. No, because it, they it's can't. Now, probably that's a, a staffer that's a, that's a, issue. <laughs> You know, a training issue. At that point, you should say, "May I speak to the yeah. manager, please?" I'm, you know, they've Tra- got to get their act together. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's training not good. in many yeah. cases. All right, you're listening to the Mike Novak Show. We need to get to CL4 Nari. You've heard the statement many times on Mike's program. It's the biology, stupid. I say that all the time. Yeah, and when Mike <laughs> says that, he's usually talking about the soil and how certain chemicals. <laughs> usually, but usually. not always. Yeah. And how the certain chemicals and certain horticultural practices can wreak havoc with the macroscopic and microscopic critters down there in the soil. But the same thing applies to critters you can actually see, like birds and insects and amphibians and reptiles and mammals, like those little chipmunks. Yep. If you don't give them a good home, they're going to pack up and leave. Oh, no! Or worse, simply stop reproducing. That's where natural communities' native plants come in. Natural communities' native plants are locally grown and sourced, featuring more than 150 species native to the Chicago region. And those plants have been working for thousands of years with our local pollinators and other critters. That's why you should garden with native plants. And in Chicagoland, the way to do that is with natural communities' native plants. So go to naturalcommunities.net. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in the Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to live healthier lives and Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings is the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids and even healthy pets. You'll find articles about healthy homes too, including gardening, energy efficiency and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to help keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Chicago and suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us online at nachicagonorth.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Looking for a housing investment that can pay big dividends? Remodel your kitchen or bathroom. You'll freshen up your home and add value to it, too. 
Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling needs. Kitchens, bathrooms, master suites, and more. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. Okay, you'll need to know why this music is playing. I was looking for something because of the the cocktail hour garden, and maybe I should bring in uh, CL Fornari. CL, are you there? I'm right here. Hey, good morning. And I went looking online for something uh, lounge lizard music, <laughs> and this came up. This is Plants vs. Zombies. Everybody familiar <laughs> with Plants vs. Zombies? George, you would be right. I've played it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I knew it. Uh, I have not played it, but I know about it. Um, explain what Plants vs. Zombies is, George. Uh, what's the turret? It's like a, a turret game, I guess. And basically, you set up these turrets that are plants that can somehow defend your house. From the zombies. The zombies. And so they shoot little bulbs of whatever at <laughs> the zombies and kill them and... It's just an ongoing, like, each level has, you know, increased zombies. And what happens if you're, like, in the middle of Pokemon while this is happening? (laughs) (laughs) You're screwed. (laughs) But that's, to be fair, that is a past fad. The Plants vs. Zombies? Oh, Oh, it's so so 2011. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so April. Yeah, exactly. CL, have you played Plants vs. Zombies? I have not. And, And to tell you the truth, you know, the... The whole idea of a cocktail hour garden is to put aside uh, digital devices and um, whether it's plants versus zombies or emails or texts and reconnect with the natural world. See, aren't you? You see how well I set you up for that? (laughs) (laughs) And and that is the point of uh, it's called the cocktail hour garden, creating evening landscapes for relaxation and entertainment. Um, C.L. Fornari, you should know, has authored uh, other books, including Coffee for Roses, one of my faves. Um, uh, you're a blogger. You're a radio person yourself. Have you done your other radio show this morning, or is that coming later? No, uh, that's Saturday. I'm, I'm on uh, two programs on Saturday. So uh, today you, I'm out in my own garden. Are you really? Well, not right now. Not right at the moment. Because so. you don't want to take a device out into the garden. Well, I I have been known to set up an outdoor office on my front covered front porch so that I can work and still look at the garden. Ah, okay, yeah. You know what? I I've been known to sit on my back porch with a a laptop in my lap because that's what it's for, yes. um, and and look out there. Although mine mine's a little, uh, it could use a little work. And I'm I'm we just had a rain storm come through here, so I'm very happy because it means I don't have to water anything. Yes, I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> where well, where are you? Where are you based? I I'm on Cape Cod, uh, which is a nice place to be. Make- it's a very very nice place to be. We love our sea breeze in the summertime, but we are in the middle of a drought here. We have not had significant rain since oh, I'd say mid-April. So interesting. I'll have to ask uh, our meteorologist Rick DeMaio about that. I wasn't aware 
that the northeast part of the country was going through. Is it just, is it a very specific location or all the northeast? Well, it's much of the northeast. Much of the northeast has been quite dry. We've had sporadic little thunder showers that only promote leaf spot fungus and don't do much else. So. <laughs> oh, gosh. And, <laughs> you know, and the reason we don't know here is because, you know, New England is flyover territory as far as the Midwest is concerned. <laughs> Um, tell me about, uh, well, one of the things that I wrote about your, your, your book is, is that it's as much metaphorical as it is real when you talk about, I mean, you do give, you have recipes for cocktails and you, you talk about the kind of furniture you might want to have and, you know, the kind of background and obviously the kind of plants you want, but it's, it's a state of mind. Isn't it the idea of a cocktail garden? Absolutely. It's a state of mind, and it's also an acknowledgement that we're all so busy these days. You know, um, we work a lot, uh, everyone. And sometimes we forget to just stop and, as I say, reconnect with the natural world to just sit and look at our surroundings and the wonders of nature. And it's very important. It's important for our own restoration. It's important for reconnecting really with each other. And it's important also for our reconnecting with plants that really sustain us and sustain all life. And because we forget to do that so often, I think it's important to kind of make a ritual of it which is what the cocktail hour can be. Now, it could be morning coffee reconnection. That's fine, too. It could be designing an outdoor office so that you can work and connect with nature uh, as you work, particularly for people who work remotely. That can happen. So in terms of the cocktail hour garden, probably the beverage is the least important part. <laughs> although, although it, it has its merits. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. It has its merits. And, um, and, and whether it is, you know, a, a, a glass of iced tea or a champagne flute filled with sparkling water or a cocktail made with garden ingredients, uh, all of that works beautifully. But the whole point is the intention of stopping and um, sitting with if people or by yourself and looking around at the wonders, the incredible beauty that we have in our own backyards. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, I will say, however, that for some people, it's a little more difficult. Uh, you you bring up all of, all of the senses that are involved in this, and that's touch, taste, smell, um, hearing, uh, visual, of course. Uh, and um, I was thinking about some of that. Now, for instance, often when I go in my backyard, um, I'm blasted by the salsa music coming from <laughs> the alley. Uh, and the guy who's got his his stereo system in his garage, and then he opens the garage door, and then he does that for a few hours, uh, sometimes into the wee hours of the morning. Um and well, I think I think one I, and, you know, you're not alone, of course. And, and for for most of us uh, living in the world today, we go outside, we are traffic noises or, or whatever. Um, but I think, first of all, then that that sort of prompts us to uh, be sure that we include things 
that appeal to our other senses. So a lot of greenery visually, for example, um, flowers that are fragrant, for example, so that that draws our attention and we can, you know, put that salsa music or the traffic noises a little bit in the background. <laughs> yeah, you have to sometimes do that um, by force of will. All right. And as you say, focus on, on other aspects. Now, I know that Peggy, uh, I've never been to Peggy's yard, but I bet it's a little bit easier for you to, to use sight and sound and just imagine you're somewhere else in the world. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yes. Oh, okay. Unless it's fall and the Helen Park High School marching band is practicing. Oh, but that's cool. <laughs> See, now that would oh, be I, fun. I love a good high school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize you were that close to yes. the school. I could throw a rock and probably hit it if uh, I, oh, no, if no, I no, got you, up on the roof. You would get arrested. <laughs> you know, child endangerment. No, well, well what's, what's nice, my yard has very old oaks and native arborvitaes and lots of tall trees and... I have a lot of things where you just hear the wind coming through. Uh, on a day like today, I'm, I'm smelling the trees out there. Yeah, it's, and and the, and the wet earth. Yes. And, and that, you know, that uh, I think you refer to that, uh, but the smell of rain, mm-hmm. one of the best things ever. Absolutely. Uh, uh, and so, but let's talk about some of those plants because one of the things, when you talk about smells, um, it's interesting. Um, I read someplace, and this is not new, but the first response people have to a bouquet is to smell it, all right, to stick their nose right in it and see what, you know, and a lot of these plants don't smell like anything at all in particular, yeah. <laughs> uh, and yet we still do that. Sure. Uh, is that is that, you know, a, a vestige left over from when we were running on the savannas? I'm trying to figure out where that instinct comes from. Well, part of it, I think, might be instinct, but I think part of it is training, too. If you think about it, one thing we do with children is we'll hold a, a flower up to their nose and we'll say, does it smell nice? Isn't it pretty? You know, <laughs> Right? I mean, at most people have yeah. seen people do that again and again. So That's true. So we learn from, from a young age that flowers are supposed to smell good. That's number one. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and uh, also, I think that we want to flowers really appeal to sort of our hearts in a way, and we want to experience them as fully as possible, not only by sight but but you know we touch them, we smell them, that sort of thing so I think it's it's partly uh ingrained in us for whatever reason, but partly I think we we tend to teach children that flowers are for smelling. Uh, that's true, and you mentioned several in there that really well. You've got you, one of the the great things about the book is that you've got lists of mm-hmm. the plants that you should have, whether you know it's for butterflies or whether it's uh, for night viewing in your garden, the moon garden. Um, tell me about some of the let's let's go to the fragrant yeah. plants, okay? Well, the clove current was very interesting. Yeah, clove current, boy, when that is in flower, um, it is heaven because it really is a very sweet, powerful clove fragrance. And that will, it's the type of fragrance that, you know, you can plant that shrub uh, 10 feet away from your deck or your porch and you will smell it. 
you know, there, there's a difference between real fragrance that wafts through the air from some distance and what we might call horticultural fragrance. Horticultural fragrance is the kind of fragrance that you can smell when you put your nose right in the plant, right, right in that flower, and then, you know, you can smell something sweet and so that you can describe it in a catalog as being fragrant. Um, but daylilies, for example, many daylilies that are described as fragrance, you have to put your nose right inside <laughs> that plant in, in order, for, you know, to smell that fragrance. And if you inhale, you might suck up a bee. So That's right, exactly. Ouch. But there are plants such as um, Actea brunette. That's the one yes. that you were so surprised by. And I have to admit, I was not familiar with it at all. Uh, except it used to be called Simicifuga. I do know Simicifuga, uh, yeah. but they changed, the, as they do in the plant world, they change the names of these plants from time to time. Tell me about Actea. And in this case, it's an improvement because it sounds less like a disease <laughs> and, and more like something you might want to have. You know, you don't want to have Simicifuga. Oh, you know, my Simicifuga is acting up today. Gesundheit. But, yeah. um, so I think that um, certainly... It is uh, a wonderful plant, no matter what you call it. Perfectly hardy for you folks in the Midwest and Upper Midwest. Um, it has Simicifuga brunette, has purple leaves early in the season. It does beautifully in a part shade. Oh, and- really? See, now that's what I need because mm-hmm. I've got issues with shade in my backyard. Yes, yes it does beautifully there and... Um, many people with shade gardens, they have trouble finding plants that bloom later. And this one blooms in August and September. Really? Okay. And so, and it has straight, uh, very sturdy stems that come up with these pinkish white bottle brush flowers that are unbelievably fragrant, particularly in the, mor- in the morning when you're out there with your coffee and in the evening when you're out there during the cocktail hour. And I, I, you know, I almost can't do a design consultation without recommending this plant. <laughs> uh, that's good to know. And by the way, that's spelled A-C-T-A-E-A, Actea simplex. Uh, brunette, is that the one you like? Well, I like brunette because it brings a lot to the party. It brings uh, beautiful purple foliage early in the season, and it then has the flowers. And in fact, it's on the cover of the book. Uh, the the very tall plant yep. the cover of the book with the here. with the pinkish white bottle brush flowers that's Actea brunette. And I'm showing George here because he's our Instagram guy, and here's the photo inside. If you want to take a photo of that, George, and pop it on uh, one of our social media. Uh, wait, before you do that, George, because uh, <laughs> I, I, I I'm using the book. I'm cheating with the book here because. You know, you, one of the things you say, no, 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 I need this right here. I've got, I, I'm open to the page I want. Now okay. I'll hand it over to George. Uh, I'm going I'm to go, go back to, to clove currant or Ribes odoratum, okay? Yes. Yes. Um, and, and the comment you made, now you can have the book, George. Uh, the comment you made about bringing something to the party, that is, again, a metaphor for you. It's like, what does your plant do for you? How does it inspire you? How does it make your space different? And that's a, a phrase you use. And I look at the ribes, and I've got ribes planted in the front of my house, but it's it's boring. It doesn't have <laughs> fragrance. No, it's it's really it's the reason it's there. It's in a parkway. The reason it's there is because it will survive. 
All right. That's why I have it there. But I would love to rip it out and put in something else. And if I could put something with a fragrance, that would be even better. In fact, I should do that in the backyard. I say do it. You know, people often say to me that they're that they have trouble taking out a plant that's alive. And I say to them, you know, if you had a party and certain guests arrived that, you know, at a certain point, you're not going to just let them stay forever, right? Um, <laughs> there, well, it depends if they get drunk and fall asleep on your couch. But other than that. There is a point when, when, you know, as the host of the party, you say, thanks for coming. Bye. Right? <laughs> and, and I think we need to look at our yards and gardens as a celebration. We need to look at it as a, as a party that we are hosting. And, you know, many of the guests, of course, we invite, but we have to be willing to say that some maybe we're not going to invite to the party anymore. All right. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, like, I'll tell you which one I'm not inviting anymore is cup plant. All right. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we, uh, yeah. It, it's, it really overstays its welcome. That's right. Well, sir, see, as, and it, it, when you are the host of the party, you have a responsibility to all the other guests as well, right? And your responsibility is to take those disruptive things or those, those uh, party guests that want to dominate and to show them the door. You say goodbye, you know, thanks for co- coming, bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this takes us, okay, to another question that I have. And actually, uh, somebody listening this morning sent me uh, a Facebook message about it, which is native plants. Uh, and I know that you run the gamut. You're not strictly into natives. You, you'll use whatever you need for the palate. Uh, but what role do natives play in what you're doing? And first of all, is is the ribes odoratum is that a native or not? No, I don't believe that is. That's no. unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, oh well, it's not. Uh, and I think I think you know thoughtful gardeners do have a responsibility to number one not use plants that are invasive that will self seed into the wild and choke out um, native plants. I think we have that responsibility. Unless it's milkweed. That's the Unless way I look milkweed. at it. <laughs> yeah. And well there are some native milkweeds that and Oh yeah. Uh, no, I grow them quite well yeah. in and Ivy Acres. I mean that's the point. I mean milkweed is uh, in in there are over a hundred species of milkweed in North America. You you pick a region, you're gonna find milkweed that's native to that region. Yes. Uh, absolutely and, and I don't have a you know given the uh, the the peril that the monarch is in, I really don't have any problem with it being invasive or, you know, or aggressive. We had that argument a couple of weeks ago, whether a plant is aggressive or invasive. And in- It's an invasive if it crosses boundaries, um, in other words, spreading by seed. An aggressive plant just spreads rapidly, but it doesn't cross boundaries. So, for example, running bamboo, golden bamboo, that's not an invasive plant. That's aggressive. Because it will not, if, you know, it's planted um, uh, on my property or on my neighbor's property, it's not going to self-seed across the road, you know, 600 yards away. Yeah, but it might go into your neighbor's yard uh, through runners. I know, but that's aggressiveness, not <laughs> Okay, we're, we're, no, we're I, quibbling I'm here. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. so and it's, a, it's a matter of crossing boundaries. That's, that's the difference. And usually an invasive plant is spread by wildlife in some way. Either the birds eat the seeds or the, uh, or the burrs stick onto an animal and spread that way. You know, that it gets spread around 
by seed, not by uh, by running roots. So in any case, I think, you know, um, any gardener who can include a fair amount of native plants in their property should do so. Um, but I also believe in diversity. I think that um, including a diversity of plants, it's kind of the future of the planet. <laughs> and, That's and- a really good point, actually. There, uh, you know, although uh, Doug Tallamy might argue with that, uh, I'm sure you've read his book and you know his philosophy on that. Sure, and and I think you know I, I have nothing against people who believe in all native plants, but um, native to. When is also a question. You know, there was a certain point in America's history when Florida was pine spruce forest. Well, over the course of, you know, hundreds and and thousands of years, pine spruce forests have moved north um, up into New England and Canada and are no longer the native plants of Florida. So, you know, uh, the world is always changing. And um, we need to be aware of that as well. One purpose of the Cocktail Hour Garden is to sit and really notice what the wildlife out there is doing. You notice what, uh, what plants you have attract the butterflies and attract the bees. And um, so you pay attention to having plants that support the bees, for example. Uh, I look out on my... Uh, garden in my front garden, and I see uh, several species of bees visiting my verbascum and my calamintha, and uh, neither of those plants out there are native plants, and yet I can see by paying attention that those are huge bee support plants, nectar plants in my garden. So taking the time to really open our eyes and see what's going on in the landscape is very important. What do you like for structure? For structure for the garden? Yeah. Well, I I mean, yeah, you're right because there's different kinds of structure. You could you could go into the architecture exactly. uh, of your of your sitting area, but I'm I want to talk about plants. Um, uh, what do you like? I certainly love small trees, and and one plant that I love is um, the dappled willow, Salix hakaro nikishi, in the in tree form. Mm-hmm. And that is nice in the cocktail hour garden because it's variegated, highly variegated. And so when um, the sky darkens, you can still see the foliage on that plant. You've got a number of plants like that. One of the things you talk about is, is using the, uh, the grays and the silver leaf uh, plants uh, because they'll pop, uh, especially if you have a shadier area or in the evening um, uh, what are some of those plants that you like? Well, I love um, lamb's ears, of course, are a favorite among gardeners for gray plants because they, it grows anywhere, uh, number one. There are some non-invasive artemisias that are particularly beautiful, and that can be a good plant for gray. And let's see what else. Oh, I love the annual uh, lotus plant, which has a, a red flower and very delicate gray foliage. That's a great plant for containers. Uh, so when you're writing a book like this, um, it must help you with your design, because I know you design for people. That's another thing you do, design gardens. Um, did it help you focus what kind of design elements uh, you need to use when talking to clients? 
sure that the book did. That's something I think that my my feeling about garden design probably comes from being an I was an art major at the University of Wisconsin many many moons ago and uh, so you know as an artist principles of of design are are universal whether you are painting a painting or putting together a flower arrangement or decorating a living room or planting a garden mm-hmm. and so you know in all things you want um, contrast in color and texture. So in a garden, you want some big leaves and some little leaves. You want some dark green leaves and you want some gray foliage and you want some variegated or golden foliage. You want some things up high and you want some things down low. You don't want everything at the same level. So you want a small tree that brings the eye up and ties the garden to the sky. And at the same time, you want some lower plants that carpet the ground, and you want a few things that are intermediate. Mm-hmm. And just like designing a flower arrangement, the, the eye and the brain like triangles. And so one, one thing that people sometimes fail to look at in terms of garden design is what line are the tops of the plants making? Are, are they making a horizontal line? Or are they making a triangle that goes from the top of the tree down to the taller bushes and then down to the perennials and down to the ground? And we like to see triangles. So so look at your garden kind of from that perspective as well. I hope folks were writing that down. I can see Peggy is, is putting it right now on paper. So uh, there's your uh, design uh, instruction for the Day. She get a beard ding on that. She gets a beard ding on that. Okay, okay there you go. Uh, CL Fernari, we're out of time. Uh, it was great talking. I didn't even get a chance to uh, to ask you uh, to bust your favorite myth today, um, but uh, we'll do that some other time. I think some we'll we'll go back to the myth busting at some point. But the book is called The Cocktail Hour Garden: Creating Evening Landscapes for Relaxation and Entertaining, and it's by St. Lynn's Press. Um, and, uh, uh, I really appreciate talking to you again and, and I hope we do it real soon. I, I would look forward to it. And in the meantime, cheers, 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 cheers to you. And I hope you guys get some rain. Clink. Uh, yeah, <laughs> if we, if I had a beer here, I'd be clinking you right now. Coming up on the second big hour of the Mike Novak show, Dr. Linda Chalker Scott. Captain's log started four, two, three, two, six point one. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Killer asparagus was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work, and so am I. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Raven Gosplach, my favorite holiday dish. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. It seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. AroundTheBlockPress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener. I prefer my asparagus with a side of patach Mr. Wolf, are you joking? Actually, Captain, I believe he is choking. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program. 
Broadcasting live every Sunday from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, on Q4 Radio, and at MikeNovak.net. Here he is again, Mike Novak. She blinded me with science. And, of course, welcome back to the show. And you know why we're playing that song. It's because of our next guest. Uh, I should note that uh, for those of you who are not in Chicago, uh, it has stopped raining. We have emerged from the tent. We have emerged from the tent. We have opened the windows. Wait. Okay, had to get that in there. Uh, I'll I'll have the science uh, cue ready to go. In fact, let us uh, go to... The Skype right now. Let's see if Dr. Linda Chalker Scott is there. Linda, hi. Hey, Mike. How are you? Great. It's so good to have you on the program. Thank you so much. Well, I'm glad to be here, and hopefully, I'll be um, semi-conscious. Uh, it's a little oh. early for me, but this is good. <laughs> well, you know, uh, that was my goal: is to get you <laughs> up and rolling. You, you sound like me because. Um, um, I am not a morning person, and, and people say, you're a gardener. How, how can you not be a morning person? And I don't because my background is theater. That's why, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I uh, for years was, you know, let's, we get out of the theater at 11, and then we, you go to the bar, and then you get to sleep <laughs> about 4, and then you wake up at noon. So that's the way that works. Uh, Dr. Linda Chalker-Scott is the author of How Plants Work, the science behind the amazing things that plants do. You're, you're likely to hear this a few times. Science. Okay. Because that's what you do. You're, you're all about science, Linda. And uh, I was telling folks earlier in the show about the Garden Professor's blog, which uh, you started. And I should mention something. I'm going to give uh, Peggy Malecki, my co-host here, uh, some kudos. Give yourself a beer ding, all right? Uh, not only... You know, she, she wrote to me the other day, Linda, and she said, okay, who you have on the program? And, and, and I don't know if you heard, but before you, I had C.L. Fornari, uh, who's written uh, a new book. And, and uh, so I told Peggy the books we were talking about today on the show. And she went out and bought them both and read them both. So, she's, so you've got two more people who've read your book. <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> uh, and it's just so I, I, I got to give you credit, Peggy. It's oh, thank just. You. And she's even got her little bookmarks in there. I've got my little bookmarks in here. Um, one of the things that uh, kind of – well, there's, there's so much. If you're interested in plants at all, uh, you, you're going to love this book, How Plants Work. Um, but among the things that you seem really fascinated by, Linda, are anthocyanins. And most people, if you said to them, boy, anthocyanins, they're the key to, to how plants work, or one of the keys, they would say, what? What? What are you talking about? Uh, tell us a little bit about anthocyanins and why they're important. Well, they, they are the coolest pigments, um, and everyone's going to know what they are, even if they don't recognize their name. And so they're the pigments that give the red or blue or purple colors to fruits and flowers and sometimes to leaves. So it was really the leaf color that I thought was interesting because, of course, we all know that you know leaves need to be green for photosynthesis. So why are leaves red sometimes? And that's what really got me getting into the science about um, why leaves turn red. 
it really is fascinating. And and uh, what you point out in the book is that in often what an anthocyanin is doing is preserving water in a plant, isn't it? It, it appears to be. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, research out there, and it's usually looking at some very specific question, but. Um, as you know, Mike, what I do a lot of times is go out and look at all of the research and try to knit together kind of a coherent story to explain how something works. And it just looks like a lot of times if a plant is drought stressed or stressed by salty conditions or anything that might lower the water content, that sometimes they produce anthocyanins um, in response to that. Uh, <laughs> and it, so- it sounds so simple, and yet um it 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 is very complex and and they're just one of uh what plants ha- i mean you, you you write about uh mitochondria and chloroplasts and lignin and cutin and suberin and carotenoids and phytohormones and photorespiration i'm just saying these <laughs> I'm saying these words because I can, all right? <laughs> and I hope you can get sigma morphogenesis in there too then. Uh, no, I didn't write that down because I would have gotten it wrong. He hasn't had enough coffee yet. Yeah, but, but a lot of these are what you call secondary compounds. Um, and the, 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 those are the two things in the book that blew me away, the, uh, the anthocyanins and the secondary compounds and how many secondary compounds and – and explain to the folks what you mean by a secondary compound, because folks know certain things about plants, but they, they probably don't know a lot about these kinds of chemicals. Well, secondary compounds is something that plant scientists kind of named everything they couldn't explain away <laughs> um, as, as one big group of, of uh compounds. And so everyone knows about proteins and sugars and fats. And those are all considered to be kind of um, uh, primary compounds, you know, things that that all life needs to survive. And so when they were studying plants initially, they were finding things like anthocyanins and phenolics and lignans and subarin. And they really didn't know what a lot of these things were. And so they just kind of heaped them all together in this group called secondary compounds, meaning they weren't really essential um, to life. But that's because, you know, we just didn't know that as much about plant science and survival um, then as we do now. And so these things, the, the so-called secondary compounds, are things that plants make um, in response to, to who knows what. Sometimes it might be to attracting a pollinator. Sometimes it might be to sur- surviving some environmental uh, stress factor. Uh, they just make up this wealth of compounds. And, and we're starting to learn what a lot of those are. I mean, you're, I'm sure you're familiar with taxol which is used to treat some forms of cancer, and that's a secondary compound made by, by hemlocks. So, um, I'm sorry, by use. And so these things are just amazing chemicals. Um, and, and I had a, a, a professor years ago who said we probably haven't even touched a 90% of the compounds that are out there. That, that you know, after you list all of these things uh, and then say, yeah, maybe we don't really – We've just scratched the surface. We really don't know. And by the way, uh, I, I want to let you know that uh, Dr. Linda Chalker-Scott uh, has a, a Ph.D. in horticulture from Oregon State University and is an uh, ISA-certified arborist and a Washington State University Extension urban horticulturist. Uh, and that's a source of controversy. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, but going back to the substances that these plants make, one of the things that happens is, as you said, we try – to exploit them, and as you said, perhaps sometimes we can help ourselves with these substances, like finding a, a cancer drug. Uh, but just as often, it seems to me, uh, 
researchers try to extract or synthesize these kinds of compounds to use back on plants. And that's one of the things you do in your book is, is debunk the use of some of these compounds. Um, the, one of the ones, okay, and I'm, I'm looking at the book here, uh, like biostimulants. Um, what was the other one? Harpin is one that, that they try. And, and I've seen others. Messenger mm-hmm. is a product that um, came out, I'm a, what, a decade ago or something like that? And I can remember being pitched on it as a radio guy. Oh, you've got to try this. This is going to do wonders for your plant. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that and how these compounds work or don't work on plants? Okay, sure. So so Harpin is, um, it's actually a, a compound that's um, made by uh, plants, well, it's made by a bacterium that causes fire blight. And so um, the, the Harpin protein would turn on a, a plant's defensive mechanisms. So it would kind of be like an immune system, but plants don't have immune systems, so I, I, I hesitate to use that analogy. Anyway, so if you, if you use this protein and exposed uh, plant leaves in the laboratory to it, they would turn on these defensive mechanisms, and they would make um, you know, lignans and phenolics and other types of defensive compounds, um, and in nature that would be kind of to wall off that bacterial infection. So this researcher discovered this protein and then... Um, extracted it and packaged it as this uh, messenger product you were talking about. And it's one of those great examples where something works really, really well in a lab situation. So you have these plant cells and you throw in the harpin and you get this response and it's all great. And then when you take it outside and try it on a real plant, it doesn't usually work. And so you have to kind of think about why that would be. And, you know, plant cells are, you know, they're floating around in, a, in an Erlenmeyer flask. They're not contained and packaged in this, you know, this, this organism, this plant that has all kinds of, of protections built in, you know, cuticles and cell walls and things that keep stuff that are outside, outside and can't get in. So when you spray the harpin onto a plant leaf, it can't get inside to, to, to make that... Um, that reaction happened. So it was a it was a great example of something that works really really well in a lab. And this guy, you know, won all kinds of awards for this research. But when you looked at the practical application of it, it just didn't pan out. Well, he he obviously discovered something important, but the practical application has yet to be determined. Isn't that right? Yeah, you'd have to you'd have to figure out some way to breach the plant's defenses to get that in there, and then you're kind of. <laughs> Then you're kind of setting the plant up to be breached by all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's kind of like breaking, you know, crossing the moat or breaking down the castle walls. You're going to open it up to everything that can get in there. So it's one of those products that, you know, if you're working with stuff um, in a lab, it might be great. But outside, it's just, you know, for a typical gardener, it's just not going to have um, the desired result. By the way, Raymond Eckert is listening or Eckhart, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, Raymond. Uh, I'm so glad you're listening. He's one of the garden professor folks, and he has the word of the day, the thigmomorphogenesis. Thigmomorphogenesis, is that it? Did I say it? Close? You did. You did. Well, he's got it kind of phonetically there, So, uh, and I'm, I'm glad that he's listening. I hope some of the other folks who uh, frequent the garden professors are there. But get, getting back to what we were just saying is that this is an issue that things that happen in the lab don't necessarily happen in nature. Um, and 
uh, you can manipulate things in a lab and then not be able to reproduce them out in the field. And, and, and some of that has to do with the toxicity of plants and how you me- measure LDS and things like that. Uh, uh, how, how do scientists reconcile that? Well, that's a really great question, and it it gets to one of the, the, the problems that there is in science is you pretty much have scientists in, in two camps, and I don't mean this in a bad way. It's just you know where you tend to find your interest. So you have a bunch of scientists that are theoretical science scientists, and I used to be one of those. You know, these are the people that are in, in the lab and working, you know, you know bench chemistry and, and seeing how things work at the molecular or cellular level um, and figuring out from the very basic um, unit of, of a plant, how plants work. Then there's the other end of it, which is the applied or practical sciences, which is taking a lot of that theoretical science, applying it to you know, a field situation and seeing does it still work when you're looking at things out in the environment. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. So um, having spanned both those areas now, starting out you know, with the theoretical stuff and now being pretty much only in the practical side of it, um, Sometimes that connection just isn't there, and it's, it's because when you're looking at things in a lab, um, you know, you've, you've not only removed the plant from its environment, but sometimes you're removing cells from the plant and just looking at how certain cells uh, do things, which is great when you're figuring out, again, things at a, at a molecular or genetic level, but, you know, figuring out how to work all that backwards and make it actually work for a plant in your garden Sometimes it just, you, we're just not there yet. Well, what it is, is science. And, uh, <laughs> um, and, and one of the things you do now that you're out in the real world doing this, um, and you've done this for years. In fact, your first couple of books were about debunking commonly held uh, myths uh, out in the garden world, and there seem to be a ton of them. There's, I don't know why, and, and well, I, th- I think I know partly why they, they are out there, Linda, and that is in uh, my role as a garden communicator and as a master gardener, and people ask you questions all the time, I've come to understand, and, this is, and it's a reason why they should read your book, I've come to understand that most people have no clue as to how plants work. They, they have no idea uh, how to grow them. They're, they're mystified by, the, the, you know, by roots. They're mystified by stems, by leaves, by flowers, by all of it. Uh, and so they get these quirky, sometimes bizarre ideas about what they should be doing uh, with plants. Do you find the same thing? Oh, absolutely. And I, I do have to tell you, tell you, Mike, that back when I was getting my Ph.D., that all those myths that I've wrote about and since debunked were all things that we were either taught or I believed because the science for, you know, practical, um, practical plant growing um, just really wasn't out there except in agricultural situations. So there wasn't any real science behind, you know, gardening or arboriculture or anything like that. Uh, and, and, and as a matter of fact, you've got uh, a website uh, of myths and um, the uh, – uh, I want to – what was the name of uh, your first book? I, I could go find it here, but I don't uh, have it right in front of me. It's, it's The Informed Gardener. There you go. Okay, yeah. The Informed Gardener, and then The Informed Gardener rides – Blooms again. Blooms again. Um, and um, we got to get into a couple of them. 
uh, <laughs> because uh, well, the one that that struck me from reading uh, how plants work is one that that's not at the top of your list. Um, because I know at the top of your list are things like compost tea and uh, Epsom salts with an M at the end, not Epson as in the printer. Um, but the one that caught my eye uh, in your book, and I'm going to read this. Uh, this is what you wrote in How Plants Work. I know a lot of you enjoy your power tools and handling a rototiller is almost as fun as riding a bucking bronco. But as far as life in the soil is concerned, this is the equivalent of an underground tsunami. Rototilling destroys natural soil structure along with any plant roots and hapless animals in the path of destruction. Soils are more than just a medium for growing veggies. They are complex ecosystems containing beneficial bacteria, Fungi, insects, nematodes, earthworms, and many other denizens. Well-structured soils, along with their natural living communities of organisms, benefit plant roots and enhance their establishment. Roots damaged by rototilling require energy and resources to repair, and when their protective outer tissues are torn, they are exposed to diseases and pests. Oh, that that just makes me feel so good to read that. (laughs) I, I people rototilling is practically a cult. Uh, it's certainly some kind of religion. Um, uh, it's a ritual, and there are people who will do it twice a year, regardless of what their soil is like. Uh, and 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 I'm glad you 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 describe it like this. I have I have used when I have told people uh, why are you you know ripping up your soil. I usually say it in regard to the soil food web. Um, I say, yeah, you're just completely dismantling the soil food web. Um, but most people don't know what the soil food web is anyway, Linda. So that's that's a problem with that. Talk about rototilling a little bit. Well, you know, and it is really ingrained in us. And I think partially it's because, you know, we come from agrarian roots. You know, we were all uh, growing things agriculturally to, to survive, you know, for centuries. And part of that was plowing and preparing the soil for growing a crop. So we bring, you know, a, that history with us into into gardening. And, and a lot of times we take those practices like, you know, like tilling up the, the soil first before you're planting. And that's where the rototilling comes in. So, you know, it's, it's something that we've just been doing for centuries. And it's it's hard to break that habit. But, you know, most of us aren't, you know, growing crops intensively. Most of us have uh, landscape plants in our, our yard as well as vegetables. So we've got trees and shrubs and all of their roots are all over the place. And every time you get the rototiller out, you know, you are just making mincemeat out of all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and the thing is, you get more erosion, you get compaction, you get runoff, um, because all that soil now is is disengaged from the roots and the fungi that were holding everything together into this nice, porous mat. And everyone's seen this. You know, when you see a tree that goes down or something that pulls the soil up from it, you know, it's this, it's this big veil that hangs down of roots and soil. And that's what it normally looks like. It doesn't look like, you know... Um, powdered toast which is what it looks like after you get through with with a rototiller it's just this this loose stuff um and it really is not a great medium for growing plants um 
Yeah, it's it's tougher. It's sometimes it's a leap of faith to do something like growing no-till, but people that have gone no-till and 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 planted their vegetable gardens that way, not only is it easier, um, they've just been a lot happier with the the reduced fertilizer, um, reduced water. Sometimes it's just you know it's a it's a it's a it's easier on the earth um, to to grow your vegetables that way. Let me ask you a question about that. It, would you even advise against it uh, with compacted, severely compacted soil, or would you say it's it's you know a one time only and and then add your organic matter? You know, I as you probably know, Mike, I am cheap and lazy, and um, <laughs> <laughs> the the, more, the the less work I can get away with not doing, the better. Um, what I have told people to do with compacted soils, and you have to be patient. You know, if you want instant results, then yeah, maybe you're going to drag out the rototiller. But, you know, if you mulch a bare soil, bare compacted soil, with something, um, you know, like a uh, like an arborist wood chip, you know, a good six inches, and just let it sit. Yep. It takes care of itself. You don't have to do a darn thing. You know, it gets better hydrated. The, the earthworms are going to be uh, mixing stuff in. Plant roots mix stuff up. And... Give it, give it a, a month or two, move that, that wood chip mulch aside, and all of a sudden you've got this nice, friable soil that's just ready for planting. Except that we want it now. Yeah. Everybody wants instant gratification. You know, I, I, one of the things I, in garden talks I will say to folks is because they, they'll, they'll – the, when you put something in the ground, you put some plugs in the ground, they ask, will it spread by next week? I've got a wedding, you know. I I, I need I need this ground cover. Uh, you know, Mike, I, gardening is is an act of patience, and I would say anyone who calls himself a gardener has to be patient. And anyone who wants instant results is not a true gardener. That's my battle cry. There, there's a tweet right there. Anyone ahead, who George. doesn't have patience is not a true gardener. I I I agree. Well, George is going to put that out on Twitter right and if now. If they don't have patience, they can go to the botanic gardens and take pictures. There you go. You know, that's a really good point. Uh, it's Dr. Linda Chalker-Scott, author of How Plants Work, The Science Behind the Amazing Thing Plants Do. Now, I did have a a friend um, send me a message this morning uh, about, because she's been on the, sh- the program, uh, and that's Audrey Fisher, uh, and she's uh, behind a campaign to get us to use lights better in our municipalities uh we 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 you know we've lost starlight because uh we're sending light into space and we don't pay attention to where it goes uh we're we're planning to replace uh 270,000 lights in Chicago with blue LEDs right now now we're hoping that doesn't happen because as you point out in the book um that that affects the physiology of plants as well as animals doesn't it it does, and it's really something that, that anybody who can get out and look at plants, especially when fall comes up, and get around plants that are growing around um, high-intensity streetlights, and especially lights that are on 24 hours a day, and you can see exactly what plants do with that light. What it, well, how does it mess with them? Well, when plants get ready to go dormant, um, they have to do a whole bunch of biochemical things that are happening inside that you're not going to see. And they don't cue on temperature initially because, you know, temperatures, especially now uh, with, with climate change, they're all over the place. It can be extremely hot or extremely cold, and, and that's always that way. But day length is always the same from year to year. So we always have um, summer solstice, you know, June 21st, June 22nd. 
And it's actually after that point, obviously, that days start getting shorter. And that's what plants key into is that gradual shortening of day length. So they're right now out there getting ready for fall in ways that we can't see. And you'll see this because they'll stop growing after a while, even if they have plenty of, of, of water and fertilizer and, and light, they've just, you know, they stop putting on new growth. And that's part of getting ready for, for winter. But if they sense that they have endless summer because there is a street lamp or a 24-hour light that is intense enough to fool them to thinking it's sunlight, they will keep growing. And then what happens is uh, fall comes along and they and it gets colder all of a sudden and normally plants will go ahead and start changing colors. Those anthocyanins come out, except the other ones don't. And so you can see this. You'll see trees where um, the side of it that's facing a streetlight will still be green and the rest of it is turning red. It's a really cool mm. thing to look for. It's cool, but it's, uh, it's really messing with the plant. It is, but it's not lethal um, unless it affects the entire plant. But normally, it's just a you know a part of the plant that's closest to that light source. Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Of, you know, it's a chronic stress, and I suppose if the plant's stressed in other ways, like it's a street tree or you know something else where it's you know not very happy, that it could shorten its lifespan. But really, what it is, it's just kind of an interesting thing to look at and say, yep, yeah, plants. Plants respond to light in very interesting ways. Yeah, they do. do. All right, a couple of things we have to get into before I let you go. And one is the Garden Professor's blog. Um, As as you heard earlier, uh, one of um, your friends and our friends, Raymond Eckhart, is posting. He also posted some stuff from the blog here uh, on uh, my Facebook page. You've got over 7,300 people now following, and it's a science-based Facebook uh, page, and that doesn't always work, even though you continue to tell people. Uh, Yeah, and it's funny because you have these pinned posts. It's like, please keep it factual. Please use science. And then people come in, and they they throw all these myths in there, and and, and the, the regulars on the page already know what's coming next when when somebody does that uh but it it has made the page a little bit controversial because i think some people think you're mean uh, not you personally but people on the page are mean or snarky um and uh it's kind of one of those situations if you can't take the heat then you probably should get out of the kitchen um is is the way i look at it uh because what you're trying to do is get to the heart of issues with science that's right and you know, anecdotal information is great, and we all have have stories either with the garden or someplace else where we will swear by something and that it works. But this is not the group for that because you can find <laughs> lots of groups where people will share their, their favorite home remedies or their favorite anecdotal experiences, and you're not going to find very many groups that someone's going to slog through the science and, you know, pick out the little bits that are that are applicable for gardeners. And so that's what this group does, and it's real really great group um you know people all over the world and it's not you know just just me and other horticulturists i mean we've got entomologists and pathologists all these people with all this expertise and they all buy into you know the the principle that this is going to be a science-based discussion group and it's fascinating and i learn new stuff every day i love it uh and 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 really if you're a serious gardener 
just you don't have to go there every day, uh, but the, you can do a search on the page if you've got a particular problem in your garden, and it's pretty likely the conversation has been there a number of times, uh, and uh, you'll learn a lot. I was pretty, a few weeks ago, some guy posted something that was obviously just silly, and uh, he said he posted something, and you wrote no. And then he posted, and then and then he posted something again, and you and you wrote, "Read the pinned post." And then he wrote something else, and you said, "No." And then he wrote something else, and you said, "Read the pinned post." And it, it just kept going on like that, and, and everything he said was really dumb, and you just kept saying no, and it, and it, and I and I laughed out loud. I it, it really had me go. It was very very funny, uh, unintentionally funny. Maybe you you were meaning to be funny, but I don't think you were. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's where you're like, no, slap. Yeah, it's, you know, and this is why people think I'm mean or snarky or whatever, but I'll get, you know, Ray and I do the bulk of the the managing of of the posts, and we'll see the same thing come up time and time again. It's like, please do a search, and you'll see we've discussed this. And pretty soon, and I'm sorry, I'm human, but I lose my manners, and I I should be nicer and say more than just no, but sometimes I've got 15 different posts I have to respond to, so it just comes out as, no. <laughs> well, no, that's actually a good response. Rather than wasting your time, just say, nope, okay, moving on here. Uh, and I didn't realize that Ray was uh, one of the people who managed it with you, so I apologize for that if I, uh, did, you know, I don't, I don't have a sense of everybody who's involved. I just get on there from time to time and, and read stuff. Uh, all right, before I let you go, um, we got to get to the, the nasty stuff, uh, which is uh, Washington State University. Uh, and and the only reason I bring this up is because you're obviously not afraid of it. Uh, the fact that they're trying to release you for, I'm using air quotes here, incompetence. Um, and when did that start? You know, I think it must have started back in, well, about 2009, 2010. Is, it was when, I mean, it didn't get really bad until more recently, but... You know, universities um, are always scrambling for money, and and we're all expected to try to bring in um, grants and other other forms of support. And some areas are more lucrative than others. But what what the universities, and it's not just WSU; it's a lot of the universities um, with a land grant mission with extension people, um, are starting to not. Uh, consider the extension part to be as important, especially in terms of reaching out to the general public who are not going to be sending dollars back. Now, you can argue that taxpayers are doing this anyway because their taxes help support the university, and that's absolutely Hello. true. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, money talks, and what what's happened um, at our university is that the extension positions are more and more going to support commodities. So, in other words, for us, it would be supporting um, you know, res- uh, working with apple growers or wheat growers or or berry growers or, or wine you know winemakers and grape growers, and that's great because that's you know those are important commodities. But um, there's a growing number of people that are in urban areas that need to have science-based information too, and historically this is what extension agents you know used to do was work with the general public, which was mostly farmers. And um, I'm a specialist. I'm not an agent, so I have a I have a responsibility to the entire state, not just to um, a, a county. And what's happened is that I don't bring in enough dollars um, because I'm not in a research area that that generates dollars. And plus, I don't have um, I don't have a mandate to be doing that as my main job. My main job is to is to be educating people about urban horticulture. 
So it's just it's gotten to um, kind of this this uh, <laughs> going head to head with administration, just saying, you know, this is not, you know, I'm happy to continue to do research and to publish, which I do, but I am not a researcher. I am an extension specialist, and I have a 100% mandate to do, you know, education. So it's just gotten, um, it just escalates every year, and so every year I would be found to be wanting in my um, my outputs for the year because I didn't have enough dollars and I didn't have enough peer-reviewed journal articles uh, because I was busy doing extension fact sheets and manuals, which also, by the way, are peer-reviewed, but they're directly related to my target audience, which is people you know like you, um, gardeners. And um, it's it it gotten to the point this year where I was tired of suffering in silence and I figured that people needed to know what was going on. So mm-hmm. I just made everything very public. Um, it's been, it was painful to do it because there's been some really nasty things written about me by the administration, but I figured, you know, I'll let everybody can see this. So <laughs> that's, that's where we are. Um, I'm hoping things are going to be moving forward. We've got a brand new president who's come in um, who from what I've heard, um, appreciates what extension is and what extension does. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Well, wow, there's just there's so much to say about that. One of the things is even in Illinois, not just even in Illinois, but across the country, extension is uh, under fire. Um, there's a, a loss of revenue. Folks don't understand the mission of extension, um, a lot of, as you say, in the old days, it was farmers and 4F, and now it's a lot of master gardeners. And if you look at what master gardeners do and all the volunteer hours they put in, uh, they bring a lot back to the state. Uh, and when you look at, at, at the, uh, the man hours involved, that's a lot of money's worth of information that goes out to the general public. And as you say, the way of the way we quantify these things is not exactly accurate. It's, it's, it, it, it doesn't make any sense because, as you said, the tax dollars cover this and the savings that people uh, have from being able to do stuff themselves and the learning. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff that you can't put into dollars and cents. Um, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And what people – what, where the disconnect is, is yes, the university always reports all those you know in-kind dollars that come from master Gal- Mar- master gardener volunteer um, tireless efforts, but someone has to educate the master gardeners, mm-hmm. and that someone is someone like me, and someone who is an entomologist, and someone who's a pathologist. The you know, master gardeners aren't just you know they they have to get their education from somewhere, and if it's not going to be from people like me, then it's going to end up being the internet. And we all know that's a really bad place to go sometimes. <laughs> that's a scary place, okay? That's yeah. a scary place to go because you come up with those things that show up on your Facebook page about Epsom salts. And with, rototilling. And rototilling, yeah. Uh, and and you're stuck with that. And those get passed around really, really fast, whereas how many people are going to read how plants work? Not nearly as many as they're going to glance at something on their Facebook page. So, uh, and and what's got to be a little bit gratifying for you is the response of the people that you have worked with, including the people on the Garden Professor's blog uh, and the people who have read your books, because um, I see the outrage 
at what the university is trying to do. I mean, if you're going to use a word, please don't use incompetence, okay? That's that. If there was ever a word that did not apply, it's that one, all right? Now, you might use something else, like you said, maybe snarky. Uh, uh, I, but I don't, you don't sound snarky to me. And we've, we've talked a number of times. Um, you've only smacked me down once or twice. Uh, uh, and I just, I just don't get it actually. But I also know that it's a reason I stayed out of academia because I know that there's a lot of politics in academia and, and infighting, um, uh, in in war. So, um, I'm hoping this works out for you. Well, and, and I'm glad you mentioned all the support I've gotten because it's been incredible. Um, my, my garden professor colleagues, um, both the ones in academia and, and most especially, you know, the people that are in the Facebook uh, uh, group have been great. They've, they've sent emails and letters. I know that's had an effect. I know it has because I've heard indirectly that it's had an effect. So I'm glad I took it public. I'm glad people have had the chance to to weigh in on it because it's not just me. As you mentioned, Extension's under attack everywhere. And I think it's because nobody knows exactly what Extension means. I mean, here we are. We're supposed to be these great communicators, and we can't even explain what Extension means to people. (laughs) Um, You know, if people really knew. Um, you know the benefits that they get from people that have extension appointments, whether it's direct or indirect, um, there'd be a lot more support for it. But there's just this disconnect um, when we're not we're not able to explain why extension programs are important. That is so true. Uh, and until we figure that out, they're not going to have the value that they should. Uh, so I think what we need is uh, we need some marketing, right? We yeah. need, we, and communicators, yeah. that's why I'm here. I'm, I, it's part of my job is to say to people, you don't have any idea. In fact, I bet a lot of people listening to this program have never even heard the word extension. Uh, well, you need to know what it mm-hmm. is and that it supports a lot of – and it's not just gardeners. It's, it's, it's health and, and other aspects of uh, our lives. And it's, it's the education, but it's also what is the relevance it's getting people to realize what problem do you solve? What is the relevance to me in my daily life? Otherwise, it's just that much more noise going past. And I think that's part of the marketing and the education of how is this affecting me? Uh, well, Linda Chalker Scott, uh, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, uh, let's not wait a couple of years uh, before we do it again. I got a feeling maybe uh, as this thing shakes down at WSU, you and I will have to chat again. But um, uh, uh, now that you're up early, you know, <laughs> go out, have, have a cup of coffee, and go out in the garden and do something, okay? I am absolutely going to. It's a gorgeous day, and I've got weeds waiting and pruning to do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you're done with that, come over to my place. All right? I can (laughs) use the help. All right. We will talk very soon. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks so much. Sure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And I need to just play this one more time. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) One more time. Because I just one more time. What are the 80s like? They were wonderful. (laughs) No, actually, the 70s were even better, okay? Can I tell you that? The 70s were great. Did you know that Genesis is the Midwest's largest source of airbrush supplies? I'm sorry. I'm sorry to ding Sears shoppers. (laughs) Well, you can find out more at chicagoairbrushsupply.com or artsupply.com. Or stop into their showroom at 2525 North Elston and say that you heard about them on Q4 Radio or the Mike Novak Show and get an extra 10% off their already discounted prices. 
Genesis, Chicago's only privately owned art supplier, serving all of Chicago's artistic framing and drafting needs since 1946. And of course, I lied to you because I said I was going to go uh-huh. first, but so that she's I looking was at me. Attention. You were, she is paying attention. That's good. Now, if somebody tells you to grow up, you might just get a little annoyed with them. But what if you're a gardener and that person is a guy named Scott Mahaffey, who just happens to be a friend of mine? More important, he has worked on something called vertical gardens for a number of years. So maybe the advice is about putting plants on vertical surfaces, as Scott's, Scott writes about in the current edition of Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. As it turns out, there are all kinds of vertical gardens, including edible gardens, accessible gardens, green fences, living paintings, and even cocktail gardens, which fits in with the theme of the first hour of today's show. On the other hand, when people read my column on the inside back page and say, oh, grow up, I think I know what they mean. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com. But if you're in other parts of the Midwest and the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. Oh, stop that. 888-265-3600. Zero, zero. Let's try it again. Here we go. These days, give yourself some room. Renovate your basement or attic. You'll increase your living space and your home's resale value, too. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for your remodeling needs, including additions, renovations, and other home improvements. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie Did you know Chicagoans are getting healthier all the time? Hi, I'm Peggy, and I know this is true because for six years I've been publishing Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest magazine. And if you want your message to reach this growing market, you do need to get your business in front of our readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us that our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and ready to take action. That's more than 80,000 people in Chicagoland who will respond to your message. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors and dentists, nutritionists, health coaches, yoga instructors, even home improvement and landscape experts. Natural Awakenings is a free monthly magazine available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. Call me today to expand your market and grow your business. 847-858-3697. That's 847-858-3697. Natural Awakenings. Feel good, live simply, laugh more. Rick DeMaio. 
Oh yeah, you're. We're here. I don't know. Can you hear the music at all, there, Rick? What's that? Can you hear the music at all? No, I didn't hear anything. I was just listening to you guys. uh, I always assume people can hear the music coming through, but uh, apparently that's not. No, he's hearing us chat. He hears us chat. Oh boy! But not. uh, (laughs) What did we say? uh, I don't know, Uh, Mr. DeMaio, Good morning. We see that that's be- the, the the signal is really weak because I'm I'm hiding out underneath the stage at the uh, Republican National Convention. I'm the person <laughs> who's going to hold I'm the person who's going to hold the string down on all those balloons that that come down on Trump. Oh. And instead, instead, it's just going to be one big water balloon that that, <laughs> that soaks them, and then you're going to then you're going to see this huge you know trail of orange water drain into lake erie and and you and being at lake erie is somewhat polluted you probably won't even recognize the difference it'll you're, be orange algae blooms oh my gosh your your fantasies are disturbing rick they are really disturbing <laughs> they, they're actually realities mike yeah and they're I, all played yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god you're not really really in cleveland i hope no 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 okay. but i i took an amazing uh trip back to um illinois last week um i stayed uh, in Charleston, West Virginia, on uh, Monday, and let me tell you, it was really, really hard finding a hotel room because a, there's not a lot of hotels in Charleston, West Virginia, but but b, the main reason was most of the big hotels were all filled with um, emergency workers from FEMA and also the Red Cross, oh. still assisting the flood victims from West Virginia. It was um, it was only about an hour from there. Uh, that there was some devastating flooding, and you know there was another three hours away where they obviously had, you know, nearly 25 people die. But uh, what was what was most interesting is all the rivers and all the tributaries in that area were still really high, and they all had that kind of muddy brown look that's very typical even a week or two after record flooding. And then along the Ohio River, uh, there's this really amazing road. It's called US 52, Mike, and if you look at a map, it actually runs for almost a thousand miles and and along that southern area of ohio uh which obviously on the other side is kentucky there's there's not a lot of people who live on that and for good reason there's probably about six um power plants electrical generating power plants a few of them coal the rest are nuclear and it's really interesting to see um the difference from when you get into central ohio to that extreme southern part which literally runs all the way from Huntington, West Virginia to Cincinnati, you, you get a true sense of what um, Midwest poverty looks like, and and I saw a lot of it for almost three hours along that road. It was it was it was, it was very discouraging to see how how people probably are not 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 forced to live, but how I think they accept the fact that they're in a, a, an area that really doesn't have a lot of promise to it, unless you're working in one of those power plants. So you can understand why when you hear you know, someone who says we need to get rid of coal, and granite coal needs to go. Um, you know, Ohio is a state that gets 80% of electricity from coal, 80%. Mm-hmm. And then you look at all those power plants, and not only do they provide electricity, but also provide jobs. Uh, it definitely opens up your mind a little bit. You know, reading about it and seeing about it on TV is one thing, but driving through it, totally different experience. I have a friend uh, on my block in Logan Square who is from Guatemala. And recently, uh, he had some business in Appalachia, 
and came back, and he was talking about how he had never seen such poverty. And, yeah. you know, and this is America, and this guy is from Guatemala. And it just gives you an idea how desperate mm-hmm. those people are. And, yeah, you're right. Uh, the problem is if you take away the coal jobs, you have to replace them with something else. Right. Yeah, it, it, it's a very it, – it's somewhat like saying I'm 50 years old, and this is all I know, and I have nowhere else to go, and why are you doing this to me? You can understand why people, you know, get – Angry, so defensive. Yeah, angry. They get no. They get angry, and and then they and then they vote for Donald Trump because they they don't yeah. they don't know anything about Donald Trump. They just know that they're angry. That's all they you know. know. Mike, it, it, it's interesting that you say that because I got off uh, in Beckley, West Virginia, just to get gas, and Beckley, West Virginia, is about as Appalachian as you can get. And I was blown away by when I pulled into um, the gas station. There was probably, I'm not kidding you, a 40-foot-long tent with about six tables, and it was selling Donald Trump apparel. Whoa. And you can get anything you want that said, make America great again. And Did you get one? Was, it, no. Give me a cap. <laughs> no, but, 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 but I did, I did write on one of, the, uh, one of the stickers that were on one of the cars in, in the villages where my parents live in Florida. Um, I put the word no in front of Trump. (laughs) And my my mother kept saying, what are you doing by the car? I'm like, I'm nothing, nothing. I wrote the word no. So I hope they didn't see that. But it was interesting because if if you think about it, Trump represents absolutely nothing what these people can relate to. He lives in a a glitzy $3 million, you know, condo in New York. He flies around on private jet planes. He's on his third model life, whatever you want to call it. And, and he represents zero of what this part of, of America um, is looking for. So, you know, one of the reasons why I came back that way and stayed off the interstate is that I really wanted to see it. It was, it was like a, uh, I was doing some sort of like this week with George Stephanopoulos, you know, news road trip or something like that. Uh, but I also, more than anything, wanted to really drive through cold country. And I, and I saw it. And you can obviously feel for these people because um, – you know, it, it's their future. And unfortunately, it's a future that they've kind of decided on a long time ago. This is, this is what they were going to stay with. And clearly we know in this day and age, you can't, you can't be very successful with your future, um, you know, very short-sighted. You've you got to be able to flex a little bit. I see Peggy, you've, you, you, she, put up, she got a map up and she's looking at where you were. So uh, she's tracing your route here. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, my my big bobblehead sticking out of the car while I'm waving. <laughs> exactly there. Oh, there there he is. There's Rick DeMaio can, on, on Google do, Earth. Yeah, how we, about that? We can do like and they did cruising I also with Mike. through some drought-stricken areas of Ohio, which I was blown away by how, how low the Ohio mm-hmm. River was. And I I posted some of these maps on your Facebook. Page yeah, well, I'm oh, looking yeah. at them right now. Uh, and and as, as a matter of fact, we had a guest on earlier. Um, uh, C.L. Fornari, who lives in New England, and she says they have been in uh, a drought for most of the year. Yeah, it, it, it depends on, on what part of, of New England, depends on what part of the Midwest, and it even depends on what part of, you know, Wisconsin. If you look at, you know, counties like uh, Milwaukee County, Kenosha, Racine, a little bit of Walworth County, uh, those are the two driest areas in the state. And if you do drive up north, even even literally northern areas of Cook County and Lake County, um, the grass is brown. Uh, the fields look a little, you know, whimpering. 
but in western areas of the Chicago area, you know, this past week, two to three inches of rain came down. The rain that we had this morning probably totaled about yeah, a quarter of an inch. It's going to help a little bit. Uh, we'll get some more later on today, hopefully more tonight. Um, but, you know, some parts of the western sections of Illinois had, you know, not, not so much six to eight inches of rain over a, you know, seven or eight day period. But they were getting rain literally every other day, which is really nice. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that soaks down into the ground. Yeah. Whereas parts of northwestern Wisconsin, you know, early in the week had, you know, almost a foot of rain over a two-week, a two-day period of time. This was that pattern adjustment that I was talking about last week that where the wet weather starts to set up, they're going to get very, very heavy rainfall. Um, and it definitely looks like we're, we're in a bit of a pattern adjustment, particularly by the end of the week. Uh, and, and let's talk about that, because one of the things you've sent is a couple of these maps, uh, temperature probabilities, and yeah. they don't look good. No, no, particularly for the areas that are dry, and, that, and that's the key here. But I stress, for the areas that have gotten a lot of rain, it's actually good news, because they begin to dry out a little bit. So you, you kind of got to look at it in two different ways. We're going to focus more so on the Chicagoland area. For us, no, it doesn't look good, uh, because even though we'll get... You know, more rain this afternoon, more rain tonight, and maybe a little bit on Tuesday, depending on how active that warm front is when it shifts through. Um, about three or four days ago, a lot of the long-term maps were showing that we were going to get into a pattern very similar to 1995 and also 99. And those are the two summers I kept kind of, kind of relating or at least comparing this summer to. And then they pulled back a little bit. Uh, but we were seeing some indications that you can easily have temperatures uh, anywhere between 100 and 105. And that, that was clear for about three days. And then what's been happening is we keep getting these, you know, large areas of low pressure kind of move through uh, the southern areas of Canada. I don't know if anybody was watching uh, the British Open the last couple of days. They've had terrible weather uh, in parts of northern Europe because the Open is, is this week being, uh, being played up near um, Glasgow, Scotland. Yeah, you probably have a little bit better chance of getting windy and rainy conditions, but but they, they've had just terrible weather, temperatures in the 50s, winds out of the west of 20 miles an hour. And, you know, people think, oh, that's Europe. But that part of northwest Europe is, is literally only about a day's drive, if you want to call it that, from New England. It's not that far away. So a lot of the storms that have been developing in southern Canada have gone through areas of New England, given them a fairly cool um, overall summer, but a dry cool. And then these storms kind of ramp up over over the North Atlantic and obviously gives, you know, the, 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 what they call the, the, the tempest to parts of Europe. So our weather, fortunately, we've, we've, we've gone back and forth between, you know, some hot weather and then some cool weather so far, 12 days above 90 for Midway. I think that's, we're stuck on that from last year, seven so far for July uh, for, um, for O'Hare. And I heard someone say it's been a hot summer. It really hasn't. This has been a very average summer, and, you know, here we are on the 17th of July, and you look at the temperature so far for the month for O'Hare, and we're literally at dead normal. So this has been a very, very normal, very typical, but, again, we would kind of like it to get a little bit wet before it gets hot by the end of the week. Uh, and let me just mention that I just got a tweet from Annie Haven out in California. Hi, Annie. She, uh, she, she writes, hashtag drought. We know what the, we know what that is. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> send, send him, and I'm assuming she means you. Send him to California. I'll show him Brown and the yeah. state sending water out to the Delta. 
I'm not sure what she means by the state sending water out to the Delta. Maybe she'll clarify that. Um, um, if she's in the if she's in the valley of there's there's, there's a couple of deltas. There's the one that's part of the um, uh, San 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 Gabriel River, which runs north from San Francisco Bay. It's actually a um, a tributary of the Sacramento, which kind of flows. Um, it, it's it's the part where where the where the salt water actually mixes up with the uh, with the uh, fresh water. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly what part she's talking about, but you know that's typical. I mean, you, you go out to San Francisco, and everything's brown. I mean, literally, yeah. unless, unless you're watering golf courses. So, um, but I, I know what she's referring to. The drought has actually gone back to being more extensive out there. Um, but here, if you are a gardener and you're worried about very dry conditions. Um, I wouldn't do any watering today. I probably wouldn't do any watering tomorrow because I think the rain will, will actually enhance, um, you know, some of the growth. But you don't want to overwater because I, I think we've talked about this. You do too much on the top and everything grows. And because it's so dry underneath, it, it stresses it out in a weird way. Let it, let it go dormant for a little bit. You'll be fine with that. It'll come back. Um, but definitely temperatures probably mid-80s today, mid-80s tomorrow. And then we cool off a little bit. Tuesday and Wednesday. We'll get a nice breeze off the lake, and we'll probably be in the 70s. But for sure, it looks like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, we we scorch. What, Mike? We're in the mid to upper 90s ah, easily around here. No, yeah, George is shaking his head. Uh, how long? And how long, y'all? Oh, George, because he's outdoors at the Chicago Botanic Garden all day shrivel. long. <laughs> oh my gosh! He says uh, the the word there is hydrate, hydrate, oh hydrate. Uh, so yeah. how how long does that uh, heat wave last? You know, you know what? That, that, that's a great question. I don't, and I don't, I wouldn't even characterize it as a heat wave. Typically, a heat wave is something that goes on for five days. Okay, this is gonna this is gonna be three days. I think it's oh okay heat next flash. Sunday. Yeah 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 and, hot and flash. Again, yeah. And, and again, the pattern keeps going back to this northwest flow right over the Great Lakes, which pushes the cooler weather. Uh, basically westward. So you get these fronts that kind of drop down from Lake Superior southward into the Great Lakes and it pushes it westward. Um, so I, I think it only lasts for three days. But these are also signs of what would happen if the pattern just completely busts out and you end up with, you know, basically heat from the Central Plains all the way into the Great Lakes. And I've seen these before. These patterns sometimes give you those those heat waves more so in August than in July, mm-hmm. um, and, and I've seen this a few times before. So, uh, but but uh, b- besides besides the heat, driving through parts of Indiana, through parts of Ohio, uh, particularly Western Ohio, and obviously up in Wisconsin where I spend a lot of time, uh, the corn and the soybeans look great. Um, so from that standpoint, because we are so far into the growing season and everything seems to be mature. Um, I was looking at a couple of crop reports. Literally, less than ten percent of all crops are in, the, in what we call the the, the 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 unfavorable range, which is good. So even though if we do get into some some long term heat, um, the crops right now are doing well enough that they can probably withstand that. So I, I think from that standpoint, from an agricultural point of view, um, any sort of long term heat at this point is not going to really make too much of a difference. Well, I can handle three days of uh, hot weather. So if they, if that's all it is, and we go back to the pattern, that that would be great. So by, by the by the way, before you let me go, um, I drove through a very rural area of South Carolina after we talked um, from Charleston, South Carolina, on on Mon- on Sunday, and I, I I like pulling off to the side of the road and, and stopping at the roadside vegetable stands. Mike, two of the most loving, darling people. 
um, two African-American local farmers, probably in their 70s, Mike, were selling tomatoes and peaches. Have you ever tasted a peach probably one day off the farm in South Carolina? <laughs> no. Not in oh South Carolina. No. When you bite into one that you get even from Whole Foods or Jewel or, or whatever you want to do, go, you know, wherever you shop here, it doesn't even hold a candle to it. This was, this was that orangey, sweet taste, and the tomatoes, unbelievably juicy. Um, I think it cost six bucks. I gave the guy a 20. I said, keep the change. <laughs> Good for and you. He had, the, he had the biggest smile. And it was like, you know, and it was also, you know, what, what has been happening with the whole, you know, racial tension? For, for a minute there, you, you almost felt like, like you got to go above and beyond to do something to break whatever tension might be there. I mean, you don't know that, but it seems that's the world we're living in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think anything that we can do to help that, even if it's the most smallest of thing, you never know how it's going to change you know, a conversation or a narrative with these most simplest people. But, man, I, I, I transport back myself there in a heartbeat, just, just, to, just to grab up a couple of those peaches, because they were fantastic. Rick DeMaio, changing the world one peach at a time. <laughs> one peach at a time, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, and by the yeah. way, uh, before I let you go, uh, Annie wrote back uh, about the California thing. She says, Delta smelt fish are non, oh, yeah. they're non-native. They are flushing surface water to save the fish and not saving for the farmer or the homeowner. Uh, and she says this is causing more groundwater to be pumped instead of using the rainwater. So wow. <laughs> that, that's the issue uh, out in California. I guess I got to talk about it on the show at some point. Uh, Rick DeMaio, great talk. <laughs> We've already tweeted. Rick DeMaio is changing the world one peach at a time. Okay, there and, we go. And, re- and, remember, and remember what happens, what's going to happen this Thursday when those balloons don't come down right away. <laughs> look, look for me and my little bobblehead underneath the, um, underneath the stage at the RNC convention. I, you know what? I want Rick DeMaio bobblehead dolls. We're going to get start giving those away on the show. That would be great. All right, Rick. (laughs) All right, take care. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Before we go, a couple of things. Uh, I got a tweet here from Wisconsin Vegetable Gardeners. Hey, guys. Um, Oh, first of all, they wrote, Tilling, oh, they, they, I I don't know if they retweeted or they, they said, Tilling cuts weeds, roots up, and then those roots regrow, and now you have more weeds than ever. And another reason why you don't want to rototill. Um. And, but they also tweeted, beer ding for Mike for all the big words. Thank you. Thank you, Holly and Joey, the Wisconsin. And, and you should know, uh, by the way, I do uh, an environmental report for the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener podcast every other week. Uh, so just go to the WisconsinVegetableGardener.com, and you can get that. They've been on the show, on, and, I, and, I, and I don't say it often enough because they're, they're doing great stuff up there and teaching people how to grow, and I happen to contribute to the show um, every couple of weeks. <laughs> Our Muppet theme. Uh, yeah, we're going to be at Christy Weber Farm and Garden. I believe it's 2200 West Grand. Um, it's right around there, but that's not the exact address. Uh, but we're there 9 to 11, and Christy will be there, and Anna Maria Leon, and I'm not sure who else we're going to have. Mystery guests, but we want you to be part of the show. George will be here handling duties. and Yes, 2200 West Grand. I was right. How about that? Give me a ding. Thank you. All right, that's it for the Mike Norvach Show. At this point, we say go green or go, go home. home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over.
How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. <laughs>